Situasi semasa wabak ini memerlukan tindakan drastik diambil bagi memulihkan keadaan secepat mungkin. Dan untuk itu, kerajaan memutuskan untuk melaksanakan Perintah Kawalan Pergerakan mulai 18 Mac 2020 iaitu Lusa hingga 31 Mac 2020 di seluruh negara. That was our Prime Minister Tan Sri Mohidin Yassin giving a speech on the implementation of Malaysia's First Movement Control Order, MCO, on the 16th of March 2020. Aisa and I listened to that speech huddled together with her family in an Airbnb in Kota Kinabalu, Sabah on what was a highly anticipated family holiday. We were due to climb Mount Kinabalu on the 18th of March, but as we listened anxiously to the PM's announcement, we realised that that would not be possible as he declared that the entire country will be on lockdown starting from the 18th of March to deal with the rise in COVID-19 cases. However, climbing Mount Kinabalu turned out to be the least of our concerns as our mind raced on other important questions and decisions to be made or answered. How do we get back home? Do we need permission to do that? Are there still flights returning to KL? There were just so many uncertainties during that time. Little did we know that those uncertainties were something that we just needed to get comfortable with as uncertainty became the new norm. More than a year later, we thought it would be good to collect and collate the lived experience of different Malaysians having gone through the pandemic and different phases of their lives and how the disease has impacted them differently. We will have some old friends from our mental health special chiming in on their experiences and some new friends whom we will introduce to you today. Some names have been changed at the request of anonymity, but all the stories you will hear today are real and we hope that you relate with them because we all just want to feel more connected with each other during a disconnected time. Cue intro. Seek to speak. It's Aisa here and we're welcoming back to the show for a second special, Adil Emir Ikram. Hi, Ikram here. Back by absolutely no demand at all. <laughs> so in the first segment of today's special, we are going to be introducing our characters. And we would just like to highlight, of course, we will always have a disclaimer at the beginning that all of the stories that you hear here is definitely not representative of the lived experiences of Malaysians everywhere. Yeah, we don't claim to, for this to be representative, merely a sampling of those who are close to us and those who we know uh, and those who have reached out in terms of uh, wanting to tell their stories. So, Aisa, please help me introduce the first of our colourful cast of characters. Alright, so first up, we have Rahul and Anjali, who are a married couple working in separate states. We've been together for about three years now, married for about a year and a half. She's currently a doctor and I'm a business manager in a chemical distribution company. Prior to the MCO, Rahul and Anjali met each other almost every other weekend. Yeah, we, I think we met almost almost every weekend. Almost, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. We like two hours apart. So. Oh, I'll pick you up, yeah. bring you back here, and then he and send you back. back to Ipoh. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it will go easier after you got married. Before married, you know, because it had to be halal and everything. <laughs> <laughs> so I couldn't stay the night there. So I had to do a lot of day trips. Yeah. So go early morning. I usually wait at Starbucks, wait for her to be done with work. Yeah. Because she only works on the weekend and she's on call. And the problem is being in the surgical department in Ipoh, they're very busy because they're the main, they're the tertiary hospital. Yeah. In so we get... 
all the referrals from all the district, like the little hospitals and clinic kesihatan and all that. So um, my on calls are really long. Um, even really long? Um, we're talking about 30 to 34 hour shifts. However, all this changed when COVID hit and lockdown was imposed. Suddenly, they went from weekend spouses to long-distance partners. I couldn't travel, you know, so she couldn't come back. I couldn't travel. So the first two months yeah, for the MCO 1.0, we didn't see each other at all yeah. that time. Yeah, and we didn't see each other. I think like even two weeks before that, we were not able to meet up. Yeah. Yeah, so it was extra long. Yeah. Night that yeah, they the announced. night Mujidin announced that okay, husband wife Next day, I took leave. I went straight to Ipoh. Yeah, and I was but I was only there for one night though because yeah. at that time the SOPs were not out yet. That, I came back for a weekend, I think. Yeah. But um, it was really difficult actually to get uh the permission to just travel interstate. It took me about two hours just to get all the documentation because they didn't have like a proper guideline on like, you know, what you had to bring to the police station. And then when you get to the police station, there's a long wait because everybody wants to, you know, go somewhere. And I still remember I was really tired and I had to run up and down to the hospital because I didn't have my documents. Um, and you just post call as well. And right? I was post call yeah. and I was really tired and it was my first trimester and I remember calling, I'm just like crying, you know, like <laughs> telling him like, why does it have to be so difficult? And it doesn't end there. Tune in as they share with us what it was like for them to welcome a new life in such uncertain times. Next, we have Natasha, the business owner. My name is Natasha Shazana and I'm the co-founder of Soko, a bra brand based in Malaysia. Here she talks about how her business went awry in the times of pandemic. I quit my corporate job in May of 2019 with the plan to launch a year later. And when I met with bra manufacturers, they laughed in my face. They thought we were crazy to launch a bra brand only after a year. And this is before the pandemic even came. But me being me, I was really determined. I wanted to be a first mover in the market and I didn't want someone to copy my idea and I was really determined. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, the pandemic came and the reality of developing an entire bra brand and an entire product line from scratch hit me and that it's not easy, especially within a pandemic. So we did not factor that within our timeline. So yeah, our launch plans were delayed significantly. Our product line changed almost entirely. Our branding, which is key, changed completely. So needless to say, a lot of things changed. And being a planner, that was really frustrating. I made plan Bs, I made plan Cs, but I didn't really think I needed to use them, right? You'll find out later how Natasha turned this setback into an opportunity. But first up, we have Jenny and Jerry. For those of you who caught our mental health special in October last year, these two characters will be familiar to you. So we thought to reintroduce Jerry and Jenny in this COVID special 
to just let everybody know how their path to marriage was not an easy one and how COVID actually really affected their plans. We were supposed to get married in April and we had to make many changes and maybe uh-huh. postponements to the point where uh, we have been married but our reception where we have to invite our friends and other family members have not been done until now. Mm-hmm. Even for our solemnization. Last minute, we had to change the number of people in mm. the table. And that was the night before. It was very hectic. Thankfully, everything went well. And I'm thankful because a week after our solemnization... It was things, the Sabah was election. <laughs> yeah. yeah it, things, right after the Sabah election. And we went back to... Well, in fact, the, 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 the numbers got to the triple digits. It it went topsy-turvy and they don't even allow any more solemnization to be done physically. Never in our wildest imagination would we think that uh, we will be stalewarts almost. That, that's the moniker that has been thrown away, thrown around our faces for, for so many times. Because we've been solemn we did get solemnized in 2020, but it's been more than half a year, I think, that we still haven't uh, hosted our reception. I think, you know, I, I realized during this pandemic that um, whenever you plan, you can't expect what's mm. going to happen next. You think that, okay, things will get better, things get worse. Okay, things are going to get worse, thing, things get a little bit better, and then it gets worse again. <laughs> mm. So we never knew when is the right time to change the date. And unfortunately, to this date, they still don't know when the right time is especially since cases are moving up and they've already paid for the venue and there are so many considerations to that have to be taken into account. But I have to say, guys, we're so excited to share with you their journey in terms of planning for their wedding. And if you've heard our mental health special, you can really see how much she has changed in a positive way and how much he has changed uh, in a positive way as well and hopefully you can pick that up from their um, their bits later but in the meantime let's hear it from Denise who is a partner in a local law firm I'm currently working as um, a in a law firm I'm also a wife and also recently a mother so life has been interesting and she's not joking about um, life being interesting. In fact, interesting is one way to put it. Here she talks about being a new mother when times are so uncertain. When it first hit back in March last year, I was pregnant. So it was still okay. It was still fine. But I think the only downside was that I, only, I always had the expectation that I would want to travel. Um, before the baby comes but unfortunately I didn't get that opportunity I was um, actually cooked up in a quite a small apartment uh, in KL so it was pretty depressing I would say Um, there are a lot of things that I wanted to do but I couldn't Um, but I think a few months later um, it was pretty challenging um, the reason being is that, um, again, I couldn't go out uh, when my baby has arrived. And then after I delivered, I I wanted to at least move about, um, have a bit of um, change of environment because you'll be at home mostly taking care of the baby. And sometimes you want the breather, but I couldn't. For the first few months, it was it was quite tough, especially for, for a newly mother because... 
I think you have not rest enough for a long time and then you feel tired very often. So even when you work um, without any distractions, you get tired quite often. We'll hear more from Denise on what happened at home that prompted her to actually completely uplift her her whole life and move to Penang from KL. Well, like a lot of people did in the times of Corona, we too reached out to our friends from the past and another person who made an appearance on our mental health special, Kieran, is now with us to talk about an interesting change to his life, I suppose, in the time of COVID, <laughs> in a most direct manner. Interesting, again, is another way to say it. I had COVID, I think, in January. I did, yes, in January. And that was quite scary, but uh, very fortunately, I had very little symptoms. I only lost my sense of smell and taste. Um, but... That was scary because the biggest fear I had was that I was going to transmit it to other people, especially my loved ones. But my friend said that I should have won an award from the Ministry of Health for most terrible virus spreader because everyone I met in the span of two weeks did not contract the virus. So I was very, very lucky. And all the people around me were very, very lucky. I was stuck in my room for 12 to 14 days, but I'm fine. And everyone around me was fine. So I'm very, very happy about that. Well, that's good to hear, uh, Kieran. And, you know, if you guys want to hear more about his experience while having COVID and how it has impacted his lifestyle, tune in. Up next is a close friend of mine. Her name is Fiza. And I'll let her introduce herself. Hi, I'm actually a legal counsel um, focusing on commercial work. Here is Fiza talking about the changes in her working life that I think a lot of you can relate with. So I'll start with how it began, how it happened before the pandemic. So before the pandemic, I actually commute about almost, obviously almost every day for 40 kilometers one way to the office, which is about an hour without traffic. And spending time on the road has always been something of a struggle, not just for me, but I think for all of us. And things have then slowly change uh, after MCO because I started working at home full-time. I've been working at home for about a year now um, and I haven't been in the office for for more than a year because I was actually traveling before that. Uh, um, during, before the, the WHO declared pandemic, I was actually abroad. So all my stuff in the office is still there. And because of all these restrictions that my office has actually set. So um, it has been quite challenging in the sense that um, in terms of the timing that we work, previously I always make sure that I'll be in the office during office hours only. But now there's an expectations from the bosses and from colleagues and stakeholders that you know they expect for us to be available at all times because to them what else can you do what else can we do indeed it seems that is the question that we all ask ourselves during the pandemic what else can i do maybe make bread what else can i do teach public speaking online what else can i do start a podcast it seems that maybe that question does not necessarily elicit a negative answer but stop with my ranting what else do we have next (laughs) Who we have else? Who, who, who else do we have next? Yes, who else do we okay. have next? Up next is one of my favorite people in the world, 
uh, Guifei. This is a snippet of how she reacted when she found out about the announcement of uh, MCO 1.0 lockdown in March 2020. So I still remember when uh, it was announced in March 2020. I was in a state of panic and husband and family were all worried because I have to work uh, in the office until very late. And and uh, because of uh, the state of preparation that we need to get ourselves in, in the office, I also find myself to be spending a lot of time preparing our staff before having to prepare myself in the actual lockdown. So what happened ironically on that night was that I forgot to bring my handbag back, you know, and I have to go back and realize that I didn't have my uh, identity card with me and all the important uh, cards with me. So it's already 11 p.m. and uh, we were wondering to ourselves, what should we do now? Well, we got shot if we go back to office to take our staff. What do we do? And the kids were already in pajamas and, you know, you can see, you know, fear um, writing all over their face. To, to also wonder, to say, what's going to happen tomorrow? Okay, so we, we went back uh, irregardless and uh, just in time before the next day, which is before 12 a.m., and the lockdown happens. We were feeling a lot of anxiety. We don't know what's going to happen. You know, lo- what does lockdown mean really to us? So that was how it felt. It's a lot of uncertainty. It's a lot of nervousness. It's a lot of you know, don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I mean, right? It's just the way she tells her story is so, so compelling to me. Later, she'll share with us how she adapted to life under MCO with her kids, with her husband, and managing her work all at the same time. Next, we have one of my favorite people in the whole wide world, a very close friend of mine, Mai Mosin. Here she is explaining exactly what she does, and it's pretty unique. Hi, I'm head of education strategy for a prep school that's based in Hong Kong. However, Mai was not always the head of education strategy. Previously, she was actually an entrepreneur, and this is how that was affected by the pandemic. So before the pandemic, I was an entrepreneur. I was managing my own startup, specifically on education curriculum. The struggle being a sole entrepreneur during a pandemic, just not knowing when the next stream of income is going to materialize. It's very much just a struggle. Um, And when you're in that position, you realize that every single choice that you make is a financial decision. You can't really consider any other points of view. So at that point, every decision that I made for my own life came from uh, deciding whether or not I would get money from a particular choice or whether or not a particular choice took out more money than it gave. So financial independence was just crucial at that point. I needed to to be able to establish some level of financial freedom in order for me to just get back on track and make more meaningful choices for myself. And my definitely did get back on track. Later, you'll find out about her visa issues, how that has affected not only her living arrangements, but also her work conditions. So you'll be hearing from Shiba next, uh, and she's a lawyer, but that's not what's important. What's important is, as you're going to hear this next clip, you're going to hear a lot of background noise. And the reason being that that was the first face-to-face recording that we were able to do with somebody after the lockdown and it was just so refreshing to hear absolutely actually i'm really happy we did that we actually did this 
a recording at a cafe called Common Ground and it was exciting because it actually illustrated the conversation that we had how COVID actually hampered or disrupted our social life and Shiba in particular who's another close friend of mine is an absolute social butterfly and she loves traveling so here's Shiba talking about how COVID has changed the way she interacted with her friends COVID did affect my social life yeah definitely okay. I, I went from going out maybe three four times a week even maybe sometimes six or seven nights a week mm. to staying in 24-7 and in the beginning it was traumatizing I, I remember the first day of lockdown I was like guys do you guys want to do a video call I'm so lonely because I was literally <laughs> living alone in my apartment and there was no one else there mm. and um, so after a while Zoom video calls became a thing so my socializing was basically me in front of the laptop with a glass of wine in my hand and just talking to catching up with so many friends that, whom I've never really caught up with because you know they've got time and distance being an issue and Shiba's absolutely right I actually met Shiba during my time in Cambridge and so we've actually had a few calls with our C Kenteps which is Southeast Asia Kentep friends so it was really nice to sort of bridge that distance with Zoom calls which is something that we can now all do quite comfortably I really like that we found it sea cantabs and then went out to say that oh it's Southeast Asia like like how we wouldn't know what sea means but don't go on to explain what cantab means. Alright, Cantab means Cantabrigian, which means things that are related to the University of Cambridge. Yeah, so speaking of Cambridge and educational institutions in general. UITM. Yes, next we have a law lecturer from UITM. His name is Muiz. Here he is talking about how the pandemic affected his work and what he could do for his students. Hi, um, I teach at UITM Law School. So I'm a law lecturer there. It was quite shocking to the university admins. So we were on a break for about a month before we came up with a proper solution, proper um, how-tos how for the lessons to be carried out. We were worried that we cannot catch up with the syllabus. So uh, thankfully, the, the semester was extended. So we managed to finish our syllabus. At first, it was kind of difficult because some of them, they, don't, they, they are from the B40 families. So they don't really have um, constant internet connection. So I limit my uh, Zoom session, Google Meet session. So most of my lectures are all recorded, already pre-recorded. The faculty uh, urge us to use Telegram because Telegram uses lower bandwidth. So bigger files can be sent at a lesser uh, usage of data. All the materials are still uploaded on the website, but not much was done by the university to make sure that every single one of it is accessible to everyone. So the student might have to work harder to get connection on their part. Uh, interestingly enough, we also recorded this at a Starbucks cafe. So yeah, yay to live recordings. To close off our introduction section where we do a spotlight on each person who's going to appear on our episode, we have the wonderful Hannah. And Hannah is a capacity building officer from Women's Aid Organization. And we thought it's important to also bring in the perspective of an NGO. And this is her. Hi, I'm Hannah Reshma Jambunathan, and I work as a capacity building officer with Women's Aid Organization, also known as WAO. Uh, WAO is the leading women's rights organization in Malaysia, and we're also recognized experts in gender equality. In many ways, 
the COVID-19 pandemic threatened and continues to threaten to push gender off the agenda once again. In crisis situations, women and girls are really disproportionately affected and this is why it's affected WU's work so much. Um, in our country, the COVID-19 pandemic um, and the initial MCO led to a significant spike in domestic violence and disrupted existing gender-based violence response systems that we've established. WU's own telephone and SMS WhatsApp hotlines saw a tremendous spike in activity during the MCO period. Uh, just to give you a little idea of what that looks like is that over the course of January to October 2020, WAO received 2,398 inquiries about domestic violence through our hotlines, which reflects a 72% increase in comparison to the inquiries, inquiries received over the same time period in 2019. What Hannah highlighted is really important because our homes represent our safe haven. The reason why the government imposed the lockdown is because home represents safety. We should stay in the comforts of our own home with our family members, with our loved ones, doing things that would keep us safe. But for many, home is not a safe place. Home is not our haven. Home is not a place of comfort. And that's why our next segment is actually talking about the idea of home. And that also concludes our first segment, where we gave a COVID snapshot of all the characters you'll be hearing from throughout our special. Home also represents people and not just four walls and roof. This relates strongly to what Anjali and Rahul had to go through when they found themselves separated. And for Anjali in particular, during a very tough time. So I've, it was challenging for me in that sense that I was not able to see her but I was at home I was with family you know so I was playing my Xbox you know finally I uh, dusted it off started playing Xbox again chilling out um, but it was definitely harder for her because there's a time when you found out that she was pregnant. Yeah I think uh, during the pandemic during the first lockdown uh, I think I was sort of falling into a state of depression because um I was in my first trimester of pregnancy. It was difficult. I was nauseous all the time. I was vomiting. There were days that I just couldn't get out of bed. And, you know, I still had to go to work. I couldn't even, like, walk to the kitchen to mm. make myself a meal. And I think um, not having family around was the most difficult part for me. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, yeah, I think that was a difficult time. Lah. Yeah. I know there's a funny story um, when she's at work. Because she's a surgical team, kan? <laughs> so because the morning sickness, there was one time she actually called me and she said, you know, sayang, I had to puke in the middle of an operation and I couldn't yeah. run out in time. So I ended up puking in my, my face mask. <laughs> <laughs> and I just had to like hold it in and like just run out. Yeah. yeah. That was bad. I cried a lot. <laughs> I cried a lot almost every day because I... Um, I just wanted to be around family. I think uh, I just needed a lot of support at that point. And uh, it was difficult to be It was, family. yeah, it was difficult. I had no one there. I was alone, you know. I was like trapped within like four walls. And uh, all I did was go to the hospital and come back. And yeah, like, you know, there were a lot of uncertainties, you know. The MCO just kept getting extended and extended. Mm. You know, there was a point where I thought, am I ever going to be able to like come home? Am I going to go through this pregnancy alone? Yeah. You know, like I, I, there was a point where I think, um, uh, 
I know I shouldn't say this, but uh, I felt like, oh, maybe we got, I got pregnant at the wrong time. You know, I think this pregnancy shouldn't be happening now, but nobody saw it coming. Yeah. And I was also worried about my mom mm-hmm. because my mom's a single parent and she lives alone in Klang. And uh, she has no siblings as well. Yeah, I have no siblings. So my mom was alone in Klang. So um, that was also um, a big part of why I really, you know, wanted to come back for good. I want to take this moment right here to just say how much I appreciate that Rahul and Anjali can look back on an otherwise horrific time and laugh about it together. Yeah, actually, when I heard back the recording, I was pretty horrified and I was just so in awe that they were able to look at it in good humor. And I think that's the beauty of difficult situations. Sometimes you learn from it, sometimes you grow and you look back and think, wow, I can't believe I went through that. And I find that during the pandemic, we're doing a lot of that nowadays. So as opposed to Rahul and Anjali, who basically couldn't see each other, you have Guifei, who as a professional working mother of two, like most of us, would have very little time to spend with her family on weekdays. Um, however, she finds that under a lockdown situation and a husband who is unable to carry out his um, professional duties, tries to find more opportunities for them to spend time together. During MCO, suddenly I see him all the time. And he, because of the nature of his business, right, he is unable to go to office where I have to work from home uh, from 9 to 6, uh, essentially, sometimes even more. So he is um, suddenly going into a state of uh, um, very relaxed mode, like having to do nothing while I have to do everything. So, um, What do you mean by everything? Like, okay, so, so I have to do everything in work while he's doing nothing in work. So that's everything. Not so much the housework yet. I'll get to that. So, um, so then he started uh, setting schedules of, okay, this is the time that we should have uh, breakfast together. And at midday, he would say, okay, this is our tea time. Please don't schedule any meetings during the tea time. Okay, and six o'clock, this is our family time. So suddenly, all our meals become very structured and on time. And uh, sometimes I become very uh, pressurized because I know, oh, it's coming to 3.30 in the afternoon. We are supposed to have coffee together for 10 minutes. So I I have that uh, unnecessary pressure. But I also acknowledge that because he's all the time at home, we get to spend a lot more time together and it helps the relationship. He actually helped out a lot in the housework and in ensuring that the kids uh, uh, go to online class on time. So he helped out in that bit and I felt somewhat uh, guilty that he has to take on a lot on his shoulder in terms of uh, of that part. Why do you feel guilty though? Because I used to do that job, you know. I used to wake the kids. I used to prepare breakfast for them. I used to make sure that they go to class, uh, fill up their water. Suddenly, all this job is taken care by him. So I feel like I'm not doing a mother's job enough. And he actually stopped him, uh, stopped the kids from going into my room when I'm having meeting. So therefore, I felt that you know he's doing a lot more that I should be taking that share. So so therefore, the guilt kicks in. 
So we being a double income, no kids couple, um, how do you, how do you, Aisa, feel about the guilt that Guife is feeling right now? I can actually totally relate. If we did have children, I would feel kind of like a failure as a mom because I seem to be prioritizing work. And unfortunately, this sentiment, whether or not is right or wrong, is felt by a lot of women at home. I know a lot of people who feel this way. Yeah, you're right. And the question really shouldn't be about the validity of whether someone should, whether a mother and a wife should feel this way or not. Um, it's about whether the roles and responsibilities are shared between uh, the, the couple so that women would have that ability to weave in and out of uh, domestic and professional life. Right? Yep. So that they don't feel guilty when they feel like they're not able to do it all. Because sometimes women feel like they have to bear the brunt of the housework. They have to bear the brunt of childcare, but at the same time, still be able to do a good job at work. And, you know, this shows the inequality that still is in existence um, in the world that we live in today. Yeah, you're right. And generally, Gender inequality is still a problem in Malaysia. According to the World Economic Forum Global Gender Gap Index for 2020, Malaysia ranked 97 out of 153 countries for economic participation and opportunity. So we're in, we're in the bottom half here, people. And there is suggestion that COVID-19 affected women disproportionately to men. According to the International Labour Organization, a key part of this is because women hold greater care and domestic responsibility than men. Absolutely, and that's why Guifei feels that way. And this is also reflected all over the world. In America, the National Women's Law Center reports that more than 2.3 million women have left the workforce since February 2020, bringing their labour participation rates to levels not seen since 1988. And according to the European Commission, women spend on average 62 hours per week caring for children in comparison to men who only spend 36 hours on childcare. And furthermore, they are doing 23 hours per week doing unpaid housework above their actual work in comparison to 15 hours for men. Yeah, so I mean, we're not saying that these numbers are equal in Malaysia. But we're saying that in other parts of the world, we do see this affecting women disproportionately and perhaps we should take a look how it is at home. Here is Hannah talking about why women are more disproportionately affected by the pandemic, especially women in marginalized communities. And another way to understand how the pandemic and crisis situations like this one affect women and girls more, it's that a lot of um, long-standing inequalities of access to healthcare and women's sexual and reproductive health rights were not only reinforced by the pandemic, but exacerbated. And with many of the consequences of the COVID-19 lockdown, such as the movement restrictions in place and loss of income, um, ability to access health and hygiene products for women were also severely hampered. An issue which predominantly affects marginalised communities such as refugee communities and low-income households. Speaking about women and how they have faced the pandemic, I want to reintroduce Mai, who was a solo entrepreneur. And here is Mai explaining what happened to her startup when the pandemic hit and how her clientele were, was also affected. So I was basically outsourcing my work to other educational institutions. 
But as a result of the pandemic, um, most of my clients went on lockdown as well. So their educational institutions went on lockdown. So as a result of that, gone are the contracts related to the development of those curriculum. So um, for roughly around six to eight months, we tried winging it out. But the stream of income was just so severely affected because a lot of schools um, were also shut down. Primarily, my main client, they had eight branches in South Korea, and then they shut it down to just two branches. So there was a lot of downsizing happening within private education um, in Northeast Asia. So as a result of that, I had to branch out and figure out alternative career plans. So currently, I'm working for a prep school in Hong Kong. So I've moved forward from that entrepreneurship plan. Um, the plan was currently for me to relocate to Shanghai, but also thank you to the pandemic. Uh, migration is a, a complex can of worms. You can't really predict what's going to happen. Um, we are trying very hard to get a work visa for me to relocate permanently to Shanghai. Um, but the plan is they would only give work visas to essential workers first. And there seems to be a backlog of ap applications for about six to eight months. So it's going to be a long, long time before they finally get to my application. Mai is currently working remotely in Malaysia for the past six months. And she isn't able to do a lot of things and plan a lot of her future while she waits for her migration and visa documents to be processed. And this is how she is affected by that. So I faced a situation before when I migrated to South Korea. You really can't tell. They will call you one day and let you know whether or not your visa application was successful. So everyone's just waiting, waiting for you. There's been huge differences, um, in, in particular in regards to living arrangement. I'm not able to settle down to any particular place. Like tenancy contracts often run for 12 months minimum. Um, and I simply just have to wait for a call to tell me whether or not I'm okay to move. Um, so currently I'm at an Airbnb, just waiting out the process to see whether or not I get to move tomorrow, next week, next year, who, who knows. Um, so I'm not able to make any kinds of commitments currently. Speaking about being stuck at home, let's check back in with Kirin, who, since having COVID, was quarantined for two weeks and had an assortment of symptoms related to the disease. I'll let him explain it. Uh, I had some level of fatigue, but it was very manageable. So I just slept a bit more than usual, and then I had a bit of body aches. But it, it's, it's gone. So I'm very lucky. The sense of taste and smell thing was the real problem. Because you would assume that when you're stuck in your room for 12 days, the best thing you can do is kind of like lounge around, eat chips, have some ice cream, watch TV. No, I basically had work to do for 12 days and couldn't enjoy anything because I couldn't eat properly i taste ash it tasted like ash in my mouth or dust it was weird i could feel textures but it's almost like you're drinking water when you're drinking coke so you don't taste anything at all you're hoping to taste something hoping you're going to get some kind of pleasure from this food item and you're left with ash it's not it's not great guys it was just really annoying i couldn't i couldn't smell anything and you 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 take it for granted. You think that your sense of smell is just no big deal. But then you have a scented candle in your room thinking, I'm going to smell this. It's going to be nice. And you can't smell anything. Someone was having a barbecue outside. I heard sounds. I couldn't smell the meat. And I was like, gosh, it's weird. You feel less of a person. 
Um, but I remember when I got it back about a few weeks ago, I smelled trash. And I was like, oh my god, I can smell trash. <laughs> I was so pleased. So, so pleased. Since then, Kieran has regained 90% of his sense of taste and smell. But unfortunately, there's no indication that his taste and fashion will ever return. Or indeed, it was ever there. However, when asked about how he felt about getting COVID, this is what he says. I was pretty chilled. I was so shocked. But I was pretty chilled about it because it was something so much bigger than yourself. You suddenly became a statistic. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's not like uh, I lost my arm or I was in a car accident. I guess it's something like that. It's just something bigger than yourself that's happened to you. And you just go, you can't fight it. It's just this big thing you can't fight and became suddenly you're part of it. It's pretty cool that Kieran could react that way being chilled in a situation where he can't control. Um, I remember quite a lot of us in MCO 1.0 with the uncertainty of what it meant and the uncertainty of how long this is going to last. I think it, it really shook quite a lot of people. Personally, I took it with like a pinch of salt but also a spoonful of sugar being able to like stay at home and... <laughs> you know, play video games and stuff like that. I was really paranoid though. And because I was really concerned about the disease, I think my hands got really dry from just constantly using hand sanitizer. And Denise can actually really relate to, with me because she feels the same way, especially when she just had a newborn. And you're quite paranoid though. You, you become so paranoid. Like for example, when my husband, he goes down to get like a parcel um, then you'd be so paranoid, like, oh, you better wash your hands, you know, or you better shower. Um, you know, it went, it went to that extent. Um, but again, like, for example, we, we went out to the hospital to bring uh, the baby for vaccination. And when we come home, you have to, like, shower thoroughly. You know, that, that kind of, yeah, you get very, very paranoid. And it is, yeah, it is stressful as well. I think it takes a toll um, on your mental health, whereby, you know, you're, you're, constantly worried um, of COVID and at the same time, you know, juggling a newborn, it's, it's not easy. I think working from home, it's, it's pretty challenging. There was one part of my first few months where I've um, been working from home and taking care of my baby at the same time. And then now it's better because I've sent my baby to daycare. So I've experienced both, um, I would say, phases. Uh, whereby the first was really, really challenging. <laughs> I couldn't really work. Um, yeah. Um, so what I had to do was daytime, I had to take care of my baby. And then um, nighttime, when he's asleep, I'll be working. So for example, in the afternoon, if he naps like, um, like for an hour, I had to do a bit of house chores and I have to work. So I think, you know, our line of work is that, you know, certain work is very, very time consuming. So on that part of work, I'll leave it to late night so that I have a bit of peace and quiet so that I can concentrate. So the daytime is usually on and off, replying emails and that's it. Yeah, so that was like two and a half months, that kind of life. So it was really, really challenging. But I think my situation was a bit unique because. Um, I from I, I left KL um, after after this whole drama. I decided to move back to Penang. 
I'm happy to report that since then, Denise has come back to KL. At that time, it was very important for her to go back to Penang in order to get help from her parents during such a difficult time. Because sometimes having family members around is just such a great feeling as we heard from Rahul and Anjali. However, this may not be the case for a lot of people when they found themselves cooped up with their loved ones, and Fiza in particular found herself suddenly being in close contact with her mom, who is also a preschool teacher and who may need help with setting up her classes. So I am currently staying with my family. So I think during the lockdown, it has been quite a challenge because previously, it has always been me, myself, um, my friends at work, and obviously we came with the family because... Um, I normally leave work before this, like early in the morning and come home late and I, I don't get to see my family as much as I did, um, as much as I could. However, after or during the MCO, um, things have changed that I didn't get to see any of my friends, but I get to spend 24 hours with my family. Um, I think one of the biggest challenge is that um, I'm quite grateful in the sense that, you know, I don't have... Um, kids who need to go through online classes and needing to divide time between um, having kids to use my laptop and while I'm working. But um, one of the issues that I actually had to face is that because my mom is a kindergarten teacher and previously she has been working for 30 years as a, as a teacher, um, um, teaching kids in person and having the ch shift um, to Technology has always been a challenge um, because of the generation gap and the, the experience that she has. So um, I had to spend my time assisting her in terms of technical glitch um, while I'm in a call and she's teaching as well or having the need to making sure that um, there's no background sound as well because our house... Uh, it's quite small, so there's echoes and and things like that. So it's a bit, a, it's a bit of a challenge. But I think in time we slowly try to find our way. But it's not all bad. This is what she learned from the process. I would say that it has actually brought us closer, um, because previously it was um, I didn't get to spend more time with her. So I guess now. Um, I think we also, I've also learned a lot from her in terms of ordering groceries online. So I didn't know a lot of things or what was needed before other than, you know, doing it together. But now it's, it's always um, being, I'm being dependent in that sense that um, I need to know what is needed in the house and what, what, what needs to be prioritized. So while the pandemic has brought a lot of people closer... The pandemic has also highlighted a lot of inequalities. Melinda Gates in an interview said, the pandemic has magnified every single existing inequality in our society, like systemic racism, gender inequality, and poverty. So this is Hannah talking about how COVID has affected the work that WAO was able to do in order to combat domestic violence. Domestic violence has increased 118% since the COVID-19 pandemic started and we all had an obligation to our communities, to Malaysian society to stay at home to ensure the societal safety and well-being against COVID. But for many domestic violence survivors, that safe haven at home is not safe at all. It just simply does not exist. And 
domestic violence, to understand it, it's about maintaining power and control over someone else. And in the uncertain times, the desire to exert, exert this power and control is aggravated by isolation and concerns over health and finances. And during the current crisis, survivors of DV have not only been forced to face being isolated with their abuses, but they've also had to deal with increased tensions and uncertainty result resulting from financial stresses, reduced social support, and a diminished protection and justice framework as a result of many services and resources being reduced during the MCO period. So both government and civil society resources for survivors from shelters to hotlines have really been stretched thin and sometimes are inaccessible during critical moments during the COVID-19 pandemic. In terms of outreach work as well, the workshops and trainings that we've, we do um, with the grassroots communities, with government agencies, with colleges and corporate stakeholders, all of this has been severely impacted with COVID-19 and subsequent responses. We've had to make a drastic shift online and shifting online changes reach and it changes meaningful impact. Some of the communities we would like to work with are not accessible right now because of disadvantages in terms of infrastructure, for example. And, you know, a lot of the times the key stakeholders that we're trying to reach about gender-based violence and domestic violence are not interested because there are, you know, bigger things to worry about, like pandemic. But gender-based violence and domestic violence has become a pandemic within this pandemic, and it really needs to be addressed. And like WAO, a lot of other NGOs and in fact other companies also found their operations and their work being disrupted by the pandemic, be it to the lack of labor or supply chain being hampered. And also if you're an entrepreneur, you found yourself having extreme difficulties getting work. And we heard previously how my transition from being an entrepreneur to an employee, here is how she feels about the whole change. Yeah. Um, personally, it felt like a regression in the career plans. The plan was always to have the startup and then prosper from then on to expand the company, execute the vision. So going back under a regular contractual employment at that uh, was definitely a big shift. But at this point in the pandemic, really any career opportunities was a blessing. Um, so a lot of career decisions were basically made from a point of scarcity. Um, I wasn't able to really consider or prioritize uh, what I actually wanted in terms of career vision. There's been a lot of differences. It's been difficult dealing with someone else's expectations aside from yours. Um, even though I was lucky enough to be given a position with high agency and I, I am being given a position where my inputs are considered. Um, it is a senior management role. I'm able to basically have a lot of freedom when it comes to executing my responsibilities. Uh, but it's definitely a lot different than working for yourself where you have the most amount of freedom and flexibility allowed. Um, but I am enjoying my current work. It's a big change, but it's the kind of work that I'm used to before I entered the life of, of an entrepreneur. So it's not that big of a change from my prior life, but a very big change from my current expectations. Thanks, Mai. And there's really no two ways about it. The idea being that, you know, the being an entrepreneur, being a startup is a big risk and takes a lot of conviction, even in the best of times. So with COVID, it is especially so, and just all hosts of issues that can arise that throw your business plans and even the best made plans out the window. Yeah. And this is the case for brapreneur Natasha as well. So 
fast forward to a few months ago in October 2020, we received our fit samples. And I was hoping that the bras could be fitted on girls in real life, on different types of women of different shapes and sizes, so that they could give us feedback, constructive feedback on our samples. And Malaysia went into another MCO. I don't even remember what MCO it was, but I, I remember crying. I remember crying because I said to my husband, who's also my co-founder, that what are we going to do? How on earth am I going to have conviction in our sizes if women cannot try our bras and I can't see them? And were, will people even be comfortable to show me their boobs on video? Like, is that even a thing? <laughs> so it was really, really frustrating, but I had, I had a, I had a feeling and I, I just trusted my gut that people would be helpful during this time. I think people had really big hearts during this time and really felt for business owners. And when I ran the idea by a few friends, they said, try it out. Let's see what happens. Start with a few friends and see how it goes. Long story short, we had 45 women try on our bras. So I'm, I was ecstatic. And like 14 of those women were women I've never met in my life or people on Instagram that I have never met in my life. Uh, I would put on my Instagram, hey, is anyone a 38D? And then I would have like three girls right back to me. I'm like, what? This is crazy. Like, you're so kind. So you heard from Natasha. But not everybody finds support in strangers. Where in the case of Jerry, being a lawyer in charge of his own files and having to deal with clients who, by no fault of their own, are also facing difficulties, find it very quite stressful in managing that process in the time. Well... Uh, the, the general sentiment nowadays is that, you I mean, if you still have a job, you're still getting paid, you should be grateful about it above all else, understandably. Objectively, that might be correct. I mean, of course, I'm grateful that I have jobs, but the kind of the work, the kind of work and the kind of volume that we're, I'm kind of currently handling at my workplace is totally different than how things were prior to the lockdown because the clientele are simply just not paying because they're not performing. If there's any projects, the projects are grinded to a halt. And when projects grinded to a halt, no payments forthcoming. So the kind of work that I'm doing is debtors trying to fend off against creditors. And these are cases where I really have to squeeze the entire legalistic juice out of my brain to try to become creative to create a narrative that yeah i mean things are hard we don't have to pay and another thing is that the kind of work that we are doing is also in, has increased in volumes by, by 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 dozens because we are we are accepting work at a lower pay rate so it with it's it's lower quality work but higher quantity and for and and that's like the double whammy. You're getting paid less for more work. So yeah, of course, it's going to put me in a stressful yeah. position. So while it's been a year since we've all experienced this pandemic in many different ways, there are still a lot of things that can be done better and that we should do better in order to help the people around us, especially the communities that NGOs like the WAO are not able to reach during this difficult time. And while this episode talks about the challenges that our characters and our people in this episode 
episode have faced, be sure to tune in to the next episode where they talk about all of the lessons that they have learned from the process, what they did to cope with their problems and their issues, be it mental health, be it with their work. Yeah, so please tune in for that second special coming out next week on Monday, same time, same place. And uh, stay woke. Oh my God, please don't end this podcast episode with stay woke. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, okay. <clears throat> if you enjoyed this special and would like to hear more from us, please check out our other specials like the Women With Words special in conjunction with International Women's Day or our other episodes and Speaking Snacks for more public speaking inspired resources. Until then, bye! bye.